0: 215 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we're talking about one of the most buzzy feature film directorial debuts of the year with the review of Charlotte Wells' intimate drama, After Sun. Before we get to that, though, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey.
1: Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Scott. Uh, it has been a bit of a chiller weekend for me, which is never a bad thing. Right. Um, I did go see White Noise yesterday. I was very uh, thankful to be able to get to see it in theaters. That's not something that I, you know, really thought I was going to be able to do, but kind of out of nowhere, I think this sort of limited theatrical run popped up and I was able to catch it at my indie theater. Obviously I'm calling it my most anticipated movie of the year because my number one, you know, was pushed to next year that being Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, And, I don't know if we're going to be talking about white noise on a later episode, but um, despite the mixed reviews, it probably won't surprise anyone to know that I ended up loving it. Um, So I definitely think it's, uh, it's worth checking out. Um, I don't want to say too much more than that, but um, you know, you'll, you'll be able to check it out on Netflix. It's coming out, I think the 26th, maybe Um, sometime around Christmas Um, it will be dropping on Netflix. So uh, check it out because Netflix may try to bury it because this is kind of a uh, a weird movie um, that they let Noah Baumbach spend all this money to make, um, and who knows if they're going to let um, you know a, a creator of his um, repute do this kind of thing again? It seems like they are trying to shy away from that with some of the comments that Netflix execs have made um, in recent recent months, but um regardless as even if this is sort of the death rattle for that sort of thing it it goes out on top because uh, i thought it was a very ambitious and mostly very successful and very entertaining movie like you know you you can say a lot of things about it and again i understand it's not gonna be for everyone but i don't think that you can say it's not a entertaining or watchable movie like i i thought that the runtime went by pretty quickly and it is you know pretty fast paced at times and at least the, the comedy keeps keeps coming almost the whole way through.
0: Yeah. It was a... I mean, I, I so that was the opening night film at the New York Film Festival. I was able to see a screen of it then. And it was good. I thought it was good. It wasn't my favorite Baumbach, for sure. You're you're obviously even more familiar with this filmography than I am, but it wasn't my favorite. But still good. Um, I think at times I just didn't really know, quite know what to make of the whole thing, which maybe is... Is where it Very lost action. me a little bit, yeah. But I would not disagree with the notion that it's entertaining. I mean, some some of the, I mean, honestly, some of like the scenes and the camera work in the first half of the film, the, mm-hmm. specifically like on the highway with the lightning bolt. And,
1: um, Many and, people uh, have said it's Spielbergian. Yeah,
0: I think yeah, definitely that's definitely been said, and I definitely would agree with it. Um, look, it's not the fablemans, but it's still a pretty good movie.
1: It's not my favorite Bond either, but that's only because. One sure. of his films is in, like, my top 15 of all time. So.
0: Yeah. Which, that's, is that? Francis Haas. Francis Haas, uh, yeah. okay, yeah. I didn't think it was The Squid in the Whale, but, yeah. Okay, cool.
1: I do love The Squid in the Whale.
0: I know. I had to think about it for a second. But that's Noah Bombuck Scott. Glad you got, oh, look, I'm glad you got to see that in theaters. I remember when I saw it, I thought you would like it. There is a scene in the film, which will not be named, um, that it's impossible, I think, not to just have a great time while you're watching it and so all i'll say is you know make sure you see the whole movie if you get the chance to see it on netflix on end it yes. early um because it is worth hanging around to the end no doubt but that is not our topic of discussion today today's topic of discussion oh i guess i will say before we get in on the topic of other movies that we've seen recently it's got not a new film um but i watched the wolf of wall street again last night and did you see did you see jay's review of this movie
1: Today. I did. You got to you got to get some new movies, Scott. You got to watch some new, new movies?
0: movies. What are you talking about? I walked into a holiday party last night, Scott. Here here's the thing. All right, the people the people of this holiday party um did not come through in the name of quality film and did not choose National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation.
1: They wanted to watch Spirited. <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean, I am uh, well, we, I can't even can't even broach that topic. It was a tie between Christmas Vacation and Home Alone. Home Alone probably like the safest it, we did a rank choice voting, and this was the problem. I think there were several people who really were not interested in watching *Christmas Vacation*, and *Home Alone* is probably everyone's number two in the rank choice voting, which I think is probably how this happened. Um, it is time, how
1: *Parasite* won Best Picture, right? I mean, this yeah, is this is saying? like literally <laughs> yeah. a
0: reenactment, probably. Um, my greatest fear about this rank choice voting is that the third option on this list was *Elf*, and I and I I I really did not want to watch *Elf*. Yeah, I'll say that would have been right there. Working, yeah. um, so we scrapped it completely, and like an hour into this Christmas this Christmas party, we're like, what movie should we watch? And somebody said a Muppets, the Muppets Christmas movie or whatever, and I was just like, how about the Wolf of Wall Street? <laughs> Absolutely. And nobody chaotic. said no. And I convinced people, I mean, everyone except for one or two people at this party, I convinced that that was the right option, and then we voted. And I will say Wolf of Wall Street won by a large margin in the vote. I'll say Amazing. that much. I had the fullest intention of only watching through the scene with Matthew McConaughey, and it's like only the first 15 minutes of the movie, and then we just watched the whole thing. We just watched the whole
1: thing. Shout out to the real father of Christmas, Martin Scorsese.
0: I know. So I think we were joking. This wasn't a joke. I said next year we should watch something a little bit closer to Christmas, but it's still like, you know, Leo Hive rise up, and we're going to watch Catch Me If You Can, I think, next year.
1: Yeah, sure. (laughs) That's one I've been wanting to rewatch for a long time.
0: There's a notable Christmas scene in that movie, I think if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, I believe uh,
0: so, too. All right, so that's story time over for today's podcast. Let's get to the topic of conversation. As mentioned, it is all it is going to be all about After Sun, written and directed by Charlotte Wells and starring Paul Mescal and newcomer Frankie Corio as a 30-something father, Callum, and his 11-year-old daughter, Sophie, on a holiday together in Turkey. After Sun follows Callum and Sophie's um, vacation in Turkey, like I just mentioned, Um, It's clear that Callum and Sophie's mother are separated but seem to be on good terms and as the vacation develops, the film unfurls from Sophie's perspective, specifically um, from the perspective of an adult Sophie 15 to 20 years later watching the camcorder videos that she and her father shot while on this vacation, you know, sometime in the years prior. As with all family vacations, things happen that I'll leave ambiguous for the time being. I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of them as we talk about the film, but suffice it to say, After Sun reflects on this particular vacation in detail, sometimes even from multiple perspectives and even questioning what is real and maybe what isn't. As it is clear that the adult Sophie watching these videos is deeply reflecting on something hidden just beneath the surface, which takes time to reveal itself to us, the viewer. Scott, that's probably one of the vaguest primers I've ever given on the podcast for one of these discussions, but. I really found myself, as as I prepped for this episode, reflecting on my own experience watching this film back at the New York Film Festival a couple months ago, refreshing my memory on the experience itself. And it kind of just feels right to really warn people off of this if they haven't yet, After this, specifically this discussion, if you haven't seen the film. I'm probably jumping the gun a little bit by just saying I found it to be an emotionally pretty imperious film whose first watch should not be tainted by any prior knowledge. So definitely turn it off, come back to this after you see the movie. It really did feel like one of those rare storytelling experiences that I, maybe even more so than you, but I don't want to cast aspersions on that, like really crave in filmmaking and what really just sort of sets me off. I think when I see something like this and um, even just the exercise of prepping for this podcast, I, I kind of just felt some of those emotions, again, Like just reading, rereading some of the the plot synopsis and thinking back about the movie, just already sort of just conjuring up some of those emotions I felt. During and immediately after the movie. And so, I guess my first question to you is pretty simple. Did you feel the same way when you watched After Sun? You saw it more recently. What did you make of the film?
1: Yeah, I I mean, it's interesting, right? Because this movie has glowing reviews. Like, it is one of the best reviewed movies of the year. Easily, you know, you're not really seeing anyone who has a lot of bad things to say about it. Um, i mean so pure that, metacritic it probably is the best rated movie of the year if you just look it, it yeah up. it's yeah. it's very possible and so going into it i had that you know at the forefront of my mind i wonder if there's going to be when more people see this if there's going to be any sort of backlash towards the movie Um uh, maybe from um you know just conventional moviegoers who again maybe won't even pay any you know um, attention to this movie, but uh, if they I don't do think come this film's going to get a
0: wide enough release, honestly, Scott, I could be wrong, but yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it is an A24 film, so they, you know, A24 does have a brand. There are people out there who sort of like make it their mission to watch A24 films. Um, A24 in the because... US, just but just the US, yes. yeah, yeah. Just just because they are A24 films, but this movie is an exercise in you're sitting there and you are just waiting and waiting and waiting for the I big mean, moment to happen, yeah. the big reveal to happen that, you know, here's the scene where we figure out everything that is going on. The scene never happens, Scott. Uh, and that is really kind of the whole point of the movie is that this is a quest by this person, Sophie, as you've said, to try and find that moment just as much as we, the audience are trying to find it. And, you know, I guess I'm spoiling it a little bit, but when we get to the end of the movie, she hasn't found that. She hasn't really found the big moment. She hasn't unlocked whatever it is that she was looking for. And neither neither have we necessarily as the audience. We are merely left, as Sophie is, to piece through what we have seen and try and see if um, we can make sense of certain images and get to a conclusion as to why things are the way they are in the quote-unquote present of this movie, even though we don't even really also know exactly how things are, uh, because we don't really know what the state, what the state of their relationship is in the adult timeline. I mean, the adult timeline, there is not even a single line spoken, I don't think, in in the entire adult. I don't um, believe so. Timeline of Sophie. So it's oftentimes um, it's just
0: it's just reflections of her watching whatever we just watched on a TV screen. It's not even even yeah. a direct shot of her. I don't think it's just reflection. So
1: what you're describing is yeah is is absolutely true because because we are just left only with what we've seen to like sift through and ourselves try and come to some sort of conclusion. It is a movie that just stays with you and images and you know. There, there is not much dialogue in the movie at all. So, and even the dialogue that that is there doesn't reveal a whole lot because the characters, and particularly Paul Mescal's character, are trying not to reveal a lot. That is part of his character is trying to put on a face for his yeah. his daughter. For He's emotionally withdrawn. Daughter, Sophie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's not a movie that is easy to shake. Now again, some people I think are just going to be frustrated with it and say, "Well, it's obtuse. You know, it isn't obtuse." The point, times. yeah, yeah. What was the point of all this? Like, we just, I just watched nothing for you know an hour and forty five minutes or however long this movie is. But mm. I think if you are willing to commit to what this film is trying to do, um, then you will find rewards not only in the film but like in the days and weeks following seeing the film as you think more and more about you know what it is that charlotte wells is trying to accomplish so i did want to just kind of say that up front again for people who haven't seen the movie don't go in expecting that you're going to get the big scene right because this is a more far more nuanced movie than that um i think if maybe if you understand that going in you might get a greater appreciation for it coming out um yeah, it, it's it's a terrific movie. It's it's a movie that, um, you know, I'm still processing. Certainly, I've only it was eight days ago I think when I saw it, um, eight mm-hmm. or nine days ago, and so there's still I still have it. You know, a lot of images and lines, like I said, um, on my mind. But the thing which I think is most impressive to me is like the structure of the movie, mm-hmm. because I don't think I fully knew going in that it was. That this was memories. A lot of what we were seeing is well, all of what we were seeing is memories, uh, in some regard. That's basically the the genius sort of of the construction of the film is it is stitched together with through these different mediums, right? We have the home videos, like you're saying, as part of it, right? So this is the stuff that we we know happened, right? Because it is recorded, um, and she is watching back the home videos. However, of course, there are things that were not recorded there. most of the movie was not recorded right because you know nobody's walking around with his camcorder for the entire movie it just wouldn't make sense so the rest of what we are seeing is sophie's actual memory in her head of what happened and some of those are scenes from her perspective right um and what she recalls from that holiday weekend you know over a decade earlier Um, more than that
0: even it seems like she's she was like 11 she's like 10 or 11 and she's probably like 30 now she's probably 25 30
1: yeah um and other scenes though are even from her father's perspective right where she's not even present and so those are i think some of the scenes we're talking about what is real and what is not right is this her sort of imagining what her father might have been doing in this moment where she wasn't there Um, Is it her trying to, you know, rationalize what what she knows in the present with what was going on at this particular time in the past? We don't really know. But it's fascinating to watch. You are literally watching her brain like the machinery of her brain work. Right. Because she is watching something on the home video and then it is immediately taking us to you know, her memory of what happened next, or, you know, the movie starts with a video footage of this particular scene. And then we like actually go way back to the start of the vacation and work our way back towards that video footage of what we're seeing. So we're literally watching the process of her remembering everything. And that is, you know, it feels like something we've rarely ever seen in a movie that is able to just immerse you in someone's headspace like that. It reminds me of like Mulholland Drive or something, the way that it makes it feel so close to what, a, what it feels like to be dreaming. And to say that about a first-time filmmaker in Charlotte Wells is like, you know, beyond incredible. Like, I I don't even understand how somebody could make this for their first movie. Like, could, could be confident enough to try and pull off this feat of storytelling construction. And then, you know, I, I think I'm in the same boat as you in terms of I you know craving like storytelling like this because i love the stuff that is showing and not telling and this movie is barely telling you anything um it is so much of what we are trying to you know the secrets you're trying to unlock are found in the images of this film and the expressions and the way people move and um the things that are not said um there's no so, there's no
0: exposition dump in this movie yes sadly.
1: yes um There's no waving of the hand. There's no, you know, again, like we're saying, there's no big scene where it all comes together really. Um, And so I, you know, I love that. I, I love the restraint. I love the understated nature of it. I think it just speaks to, again, a filmmaker of massive ability who is confident enough to like do that knowing that it may put the audience, some of the audience at a distance. But also knowing that the people who you know are locked in on it are going to find a much richer experience than they would in a movie that is telling you everything. So I'm incredibly impressed with the film. I what I am still reckoning with, I think, is again just you know what I think it all means and emotionally does it connect for me in the same way that it does artistically. Um, that is the only that is the only thing that is left for me for saying like that, you know, this is one of my favorite films of the year. But like, I want to rewatch it, of course, because I think anyone is going to want to rewatch it. But I'm close to saying it's a masterpiece, like right out of the gate. Like it just feels like from a craft standpoint, it is, there's not much that you can pick apart in. Again, the way the movie's put together what's on its mind and the performances as well, you know, haven't mentioned them, but Paul Mescal and Frankie Corio are totally locked in to what this movie is trying to do. And there are so many layers to what they are, you know, doing because especially Paul Mescal is like having to disguise, you know, enough of the truth to where, again, we're getting the point across that, that that this many years later, Sophie would still be uncertain and unsure about, you know, who this person actually is because he was yep. an enigma. And Paul Mescal captures that enigmatic quality perfectly.
0: Yeah, I think I really feel like I share a lot of your feelings about this movie. It's one of those that it really creeps up on you, I think. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, because I saw it earlier, because I, it, it had debuted already, I believe it. Can I think? It, I think its original, um, its original debut was at Can this year. Um, so there were some critic reviews out there. I'd seen a positive review from TIFF um, a couple weeks or a week or two before, a few weeks before I saw the film. Um, but I hadn't read anything about it. I know you sort of had the knock on. Like I didn't really tell you very much about this movie, but you knew that like myself, some other people, you know that were that were close with, um, had really dug this film. And I and it's just one of those where you walk in, I walked into the movie and, and I think what I got out of it was something, was an experience, although a very different kind of movie, an experience very similar to one when I watched like Arrival for the first time. A film that's like all about you coming to like the conclusion of the film at your own pace. You described this pretty well as around like, there's no big climactic moment. I'd argue there probably like is a big climactic moment arrival but i think for most people watching that movie you've come to the conclusion that the big final scene like gives you before that um like it doesn't need to be explicitly explained to you and i think one of the real joys for me about arrival you know one of my favorite movies of all time is you know that first time i was watching it when i realized what was going on in the movie and exactly what was happening it just sort of unlocked something like a connection between me and that storytelling experience that I've just completely latched on to, like completely gripped me, hasn't let go of me since then kind of thing. And I feel like it's exactly the kind of experience you get out of this movie. Again, maybe a little bit more obtuse than Arrival. And again, I think even more so than Arrival doesn't have a sort of climactic unveiling, but sort of like the emotional heft of the film is even greater probably because of that. Um, I think rather than like, like, I guess, like, if you were if, to continue this comparison, Arrival is like you sort of unlock like the twist of the movie, so to speak. The twist of the structure of the film is kind of is sort of like what you unlock with Arrival, and I think that what you unlock over the course of After Sun is this sort of incredibly deeply personal, emotional understanding of this, you know, adult version of Sophie and what she's going through um, when you really begin to fully understand and process that. And I think that it, it just feels like one of those sort of like universal experiences that like, not only is it showing and not telling you, but the act of telling would be sort of almost neutering the experience itself. It's this like deeply personal thing that is often very internal, like this experience she's going through, of like trying to understand her father. Is this something that that feels just so deeply internalized, like say it out loud, would almost like almost make it more impotent as an emotional experience I find. And so like the combination of the show, not tell factor that you're talking about. And then also like it leading you to water, so to speak, over the course of the movie, it just creates this sort of really powerful combination in my mind. And yeah, Paul Mescal, I argue at the center of it is the one, the driving, although he's not the person whose perspective the film takes, I, I, it is his performance I think that drives, like you said, sort of the ambiguity around it, his his enigmatic nature, um, his his emotional reservation is that person who, we as like the viewer from Sophie's perspective, want to sort of access and want to un- like want to understand, but you're left only to assume, interpolate, things like that. Exactly what Sophie's still doing fifteen to twenty years later in the movie. And I don't know. I think it's a film that that just feels so full of longing um and in like obviously a purely like platonic way. Like I think we talk about romance films and have it, there's like a lot of longing and emotional um desire in that. And there's just so much emotional desire in this film that is unfulfilled. And you know, I, I just find that really like raw and powerful. And is absolutely like the, not that experience and the way that experience is sort of conveyed onto the audience or is experienced by the audience, I think, yeah, absolutely makes it this one of the best films of the year, I think easily. Um, it's not one that I'd say you absolutely have to see in a, in a theater, so like some of the other ones, but it does feel like a film that you really need to see. in like some sort of solitary space, it doesn't really feel like a film. That I want to go watch with other people.
1: Where you can yeah, devote your entire your full attention to it, for sure.
0: Yeah, I felt very similar to Drive My Car when I watched the movie the first time last year. Like It felt like a movie that I had to experience by myself the first time I watched it. And I'm glad that I did. Um, I wouldn't say no if anyone had joined me, of course. But it did feel like it was one of those things where I could just be in solitude after the movie and, and just be with my own thoughts. You know, there's there's pieces of art, I think, every single year, pieces of, like film that come out every you know, TV shows, et cetera, every single year that come out that I have that experience with. And so it's a luxury that I get to watch almost all of it, all of the movies and TV shows that I watch by myself. I didn't have to worry about having to talk to someone after the movie um, if I didn't want to. So it worked out well there. And, yeah, I don't know. I Like I said, when I was prepping for the podcast today, I just sort of felt some of those emotions coming back that I had experienced while watching the movie right after the movie, and I think it's a pretty—it's a pretty special film. I think to Dino, you know, it's been—it's literally been over two months since I see the movie, at this point, and the fact that just like opening up the Wikipedia page and starting to refresh my memory is conjuring up those emotions. I mean, that's that's real power of art stuff right there. I feel like, <laughs> um, so only the highest praise for this film. We did mention Paul Mescal less so Frankie Coriel, but I think it is important to talk about both. They are really the only two performers of significance in the film. There are other you know, secondary tertiary characters that are on the periphery. But Scott, I think we have to start with Paul Mescal. You mentioned that you really feel like his performance is the driving force because he is sort of the object of attention in the film. Everything is sort of focused on him. Sophie's the whole the whole goal of this exercise is for Sophie to better understand him. Um, through the lens of this particular vacation they took you said Paul Mescal was able to capture that perfectly i'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that
1: yeah i mean again it is mostly nonverbal stuff that he is doing but um it is i feel like it's just it must be such a hard task to ask an actor to deliberately like hold back but yeah. to not like reveal the artifice of you holding back in doing so like yeah. to it it seems like this is a real person we're looking at who is experiencing some things that they don't feel comfortable you know talking about and you know, like you said they're emotionally withdrawn one scene yeah. i really like is when she she is lying on the bed and we see him in the bathroom looking in the mirror yeah. and she says something like you know do you ever feel really tired like so tired when you come home or something that your your bones are where i don't even remember exactly what she but she has like this very specific way of describing the tired that she is and she's asking him like do you ever feel that way and we see like him in the mirror like again it's perfect the way that that it's framed framed um he yes we see his face and we know that You know, he he feels that way all the time, probably. Every day. But, you know, we also see in the, you know, again, the way the shot is framed, we see Sophie and he is like, in as much as this is a moment of honesty of him being able to look in the mirror and see on his face what he knows to be true, it is also him looking in the mirror and realizing I have to hide what is showing on my face right now because of this person who is in the same shot as me right who is my daughter and yeah is 11 years old and you know she's a kid isn't is is not ready for these sorts of truths about the world
0: not not Um, just not just not i think it is honestly i think it's so much even deeper than that though not only is this person not ready which i also i think the film goes to great lengths to say maybe she is in fact ready to have these types of of conversations or relationships or connections with her father but we'll leave that aside like He's not ready, I think, to really accept that either. Like yeah. it feels like there's so much in the performance that is there's this like highly perceptive child, Sophie, um, when we'll get to Frankie Corio in a second. and this father who in many ways feels less put together or less figured out than Sophie is. You know he's someone who's having this deep personal pain that you're describing. I think it's not a spoiler to say that it becomes clear early on in the film that he is, he is in some sort of financial, he's find it difficult to make ends meet. I think it's clear. Um, that's something that's made pretty explicitly clear in the film. Yeah. And, but whether it's through masculinity or some other, you know, theme that you, you'd identify, he doesn't feel comfortable talking about that. Um, and he feels a hard time. He has a hard time. It feels like accepting that as a reality for himself. And I think one of the fascinations about the performance for me, and I'd like to throw this back to you just in a second to keep, keep getting your thoughts, is there's moments in the film. And I think going back to something you pointed out earlier, I think there's question marks around how how much of that is is the imagination of Sophie and how much of it isn't. But there's these moments where the self-hatred and the dissatisfaction and the rage he feels breaks through the surface or he's trying to make, or he's trying to contain it. There's, I think there's some moments of frustration and rage that come out. There's some moments where he's trying to suppress it through like these scenes, like where he's practicing Tai Chi, things like that. And as an, I mean, one, I think that makes the the performance it, in the physical way that you described it with his sort of facial reactions and his concealing, but not concealing th- th- those elements of his performance. But there's also like this really more overtly physical reality of the performance as well with some of this stuff. And I'm curious if you felt that enhanced the performance even more or if you had other thoughts on it.
1: Yeah. I mean, the one thing which we seem to understand, one of the only things we seem to understand is he is experiencing some sort of depression, obviously. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it just feels like one of the most authentic portrayals of that, right? Whether, whether what we are seeing is fully real or, you know, part of her imagination. Again, it is... It is her at age thirty, recognizing that her father was depressed, and then sort of piecing together what that might have looked like, um, how that might have manifested itself, and what she arrives at is is scenes what she that make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, sometimes again, it is just like the withdrawnness and yeah. him like being shy and like not wanting to get up and sing the song with her right which is yeah. one of the you know if there is a crucial scene in the movie like they're all crucial scenes but um you know it's it is a big moment in the movie um, i think
0: that balanced with the under pressure scene
1: yes right where he that, seems like, like a two he's ends ends actually scale. Ex- experiencing some joy yeah. right absolutely um and, you know, again, the movie is not suggesting that somebody who's going through depression does not also have these moments. Oh, absolutely. But then you also yeah. have, like, the scene where he is, like, crying very, like, forcefully.
0: Um, and, and But he's by himself in that scene, right? Yes. So this is one of the great um, question marks. Like, this again, is one of those.
1: Did that actually happen? Yeah. And this happens after... I'm trying to remember. I believe it happens after they go on the little sightseeing tour, right? And they're at the mud baths, and yeah, it's it's not even. Yeah, again, it's not even necessarily a moment where it like makes sense that he would be affected so deeply deeply in that way. But that again, that's just like what depression is, maybe, or just whatever he's experiencing. Again, we can't fully understand it like that is we're not meant to fully understand it the way the movie i mean the movie is about how we can maybe as as children we can recognize these things in our parents but not fully understand them and maybe never fully understand them yeah it's like Um, it's like
0: highly perceptive but not insightful almost yeah
1: so i can't say enough good things about the way that the movie like again it it Makes sense in a way, like everything about it makes sense and seems real, but like it just it can't get you all the way there. Like it just doesn't get you all the way there. There's like always something that is just like lurking outside the frame of the camera that is like we can't hold on to and we can't grasp.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of the best performances of the year for me, Scott. I mean, maybe it's not a surprise. No, easily. And it hasn't been said yet. I think it's fair to say that, like. I think there's a lot of similarities between this performance and his performance as Connell and normal people. I mean, maybe that's like just a really lazy comparison because again, another performance that I just found to be totally devastating from him. But I think one of the hallmarks of that performance is exactly what you're describing with, with not, not Connell, but Callum here <laughs> um, is yeah. The sort of emotionally distant element at times, like you can't quite always really fully make out what it is that these characters are hiding beneath the veneer of the smile, or almost even the placid look um, on the face—I think that's one of the, just the hallmarks of both of these performances. And I don't mean to say that as a critique, honestly. I think it's just—I so, think it just shows that Paul Mescal has really has this sort of almost—I w- I'll, 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 hesitate to say unique—but has this really special ability to hold himself and comport himself on the screen and act in this way and look there's not that many other actors who are doing who are doing performances like these there's all kinds of good performances but there's not many other actors doing these types of doing this type of performance specifically
1: and it's and it's special it really is Certainly not Joe Alwyn, which is who they have him paired with for Variety Actors on Actors. I mean, I can only
0: assume that because it's the it's, it's the sound sure. of Okay. I mean, I, I assume it. Well,
1: well, there's that. And then, yeah, like Joe Alwyn is Dating the partner a pop star. of Taylor Swift. Yeah. And Paul Mescal is the partner of Phoebe Bridgers. And they're like, you know, in the same uh, musical universe, if you will. Yeah. What like think- Phoebe Bridgers will be opening for Taylor Swift on some of her. Yeah, tour dates.
0: Taylor Swift not opening for her. That's a shame. Um. I mean, wouldn't count it out. (laughs) Yeah, touche. Yeah, I. anyway. Yeah, I I mean, that's Paul Mescal. There's stuff that I want to come back to about this, but I think, because I think that the crescendo of the performance even, you know, between the scenes like you're describing with the karaoke and the under pressure, um, the dance scene, I think that's worth coming back to. But I think at this point, before we really talk and dissect those scenes more i'd love to talk about frankie corio who plays the younger version of sophie in the film we haven't really given her much spotlight yet scott so i'd love to hear what you think it is a sort of breakout performance if you will for her it's a it's a first a first feature film for her as well as the director and writer charlotte wells here do you think she sort of lived up to you know other talents of a similar age Sorry, I mean we were talking about we were talking about julia butters just last week um, or a couple weeks ago with the Fablemans, I completely lost track of time. Um, what like is it? Is it of a comparable level? Because I think we praised that pretty highly, and she's in the conversation around other award shows, being like you know breakthrough young actor of the year type stuff. Do you agree with that?
1: I mean, yeah. Again, th- this is a movie that I feel like asks so much of these two performers in terms of. The control that they have to have over their performances yeah and so anyone who's able to do that at you know her age and experience level um deserves any and all recognition that is coming their way and you know again she's a very believable 11 year old her she is curious about a yeah. lot of things right and that's yeah. On on one level, that is her father, right? And she's making you know these videos, and she's asking him like, "Where did you think you would be when you were my age?" Like you know, she's asking these sort of precocious questions that you would expect of somebody, you know, a child her age. And she's probing, she's pressing him a little bit, but she's not going too deep into it, right? Yeah. Um, and that's part of it as well, is because you know, because the some of the movies, her looking back on her actions with regret, right? It's like she she doesn't like as a, as a kid she doesn't actually get to the core of it because she's also experiencing a lot of other things for the first time right like Her. she is these, the other
0: kids the other children hanging
1: out with these other kids right yeah. like she, older kids and you know seeing the way that they behave and interact with each other yeah. she like has a little crush on this boy um mm-hmm. they share a little scene together in the swimming pool um You know, that, again, is sort of coming of age type stuff that, you know, girls of her age would be experiencing at this time. Um, And so it feels like, again, she's hitting all the right notes in terms of somebody who is uh, the right amount of precocious and curious um, about her father. But again, not so much so that she is actually able to. unravel this the truth that she is looking for 20 years later um but also is experiencing all the the things that a girl of her age would be experiencing um at this time and so yeah i I think she she nails it I, I think um again it feels very authentic um mm-hmm. she's obviously more expressive in her performance in, you know, uh, than Paul Mescal is just because of the nature of her character. Um, but never so much in a way that feels, you know, discordant with the general vibe of the movie. Um, and, and notably so. to
0: this point, this isn't Frankie Corio, but it's, it is not, it didn't go, I, I guess it's something that I noted was that, again, maybe by factor of the, that we don't have very many scenes and there's no dialogue in the present uh, of the of the of the film with the adult Sophie, but that performance, which is again not Frankie Corio, but that performance is much more of the ilk of what Paul Mescal like, completely emotionless, sort of just gazing at the screen. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, which is yeah, I think everything that you're saying about the young Sophie being much more expressive. It's it, it, I think just as a character study, very fascinating to see the glimpses that you get of the adult version you know, looking, looking like her father. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, breakout performance for sure. I I don't really have much more to add to the specifics that you were describing, but I will say just to keep up my, you know, comparisons that are maybe again, maybe a little lazy, but it reminded me a lot of another a 24, you know, young child from a film, the Florida project reminded me of Brooklyn Prince reminded me of Mooney in the curiosity, the perceptiveness maybe not always being able to put two and two together and um because why would you expect a, a child of you know this age um to be able to do things like that but being able to identify a lot of these things and identify that an adult is going through something i mean so many times throughout this film you can see that she is recognizing something is off it's not just the recollections of an adult sophie being transposed onto this child it is clear like when they're scuba diving or whatever, and she loses some of her gear, like she recognizes that this has upset her father, even though you have Paul Mescal trying to, trying to like put on a, put on a show or put on a face, even though it has upset him. It is clear it has upset him, um, potentially because of these financial difficulties that he finds himself in. And she identifies that and she apologizes, you know, she repeatedly is apologizing to him. And yeah, I don't know. Like it's, we talk a lot it with child performances, I think, around, like, what feels like a child acting and what feels like a child being a child. And I, and I just feel like this is the kind of girl um, that you would experience. And like this is this is a, a child you would find in real life.
1: Yeah, I would say the one difference is, again, be, because everything about this movie is so considered. Um, yeah. Yeah. So is her performance, right? So she definitely, for me, falls in the camp of this is a child who is acting because you can just, you know, see that she is in some regard, like, again, it's it's very considered. Like, she is making conscious decisions about things that she is doing um, on the screen with her performance. Whereas with, like, a Brooklyn Prince, for example, it really does just feel like you, they set the camera down and just let her be, you know, a kid. The, the kid that she was but I you're right that,
0: i kind of read that as just these these two children being different i do i do see what you're saying around the considered element but it still felt very i can, we've used the authentic word twice here i almost hesitate to use it again but it feels very authentic
1: and you're right I, I mean again you're right in saying that like these are both the types of kids who like are recognizing things while not fully understanding what they mean um mm-hmm. and like You know, there's that moment that is one of my favorite moments in the Florida Project where she sees, where Mooney sees the couple arguing that have come to the motel and they thought they were going to a Disney resort. And she says, you know, she's about to cry. I can always tell when adults are about to cry. Um, Again, there's so much in that line that the little kid does not fully understand yet. But like there is a, a truth about that, that maybe only a child could like actually recognize because... Because of their like, you know, I, I don't know what the word is, but like earnest perspective on everything. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think one of the other scenes about talking about earnest perspective is that there's the scene I think later on, in the movie with the with the rug shop with Callum, mm-hmm. thinking about purchasing a rug, but seems very hesitant to. Again, I think kind of pointing back towards the financial situation that he's in, and and
1: that. And yeah. that's another one of the like question marks. Like, did he buy the rug? Did he not? It's like, well, yeah, because
0: later you get you see him by himself. Yeah, you know, again, one of these imagine it, imagine yeah. scenes. Buying the rug, seemingly I mean, he buys the rug. It, imagine, yeah, yeah.
1: But then, like, but you never see it later. We right? don't ever see yeah. it later, right? Yeah, he's he's like laying on it there in the store, but then like he's not carrying it around. Like we don't see it in their room or anything like that,
0: or when they're in the airport or whatever. Yeah, at yeah. the end of the movie. Um, and I think that that was the first sign that put me on before, even before maybe another scene we'll talk about in a second of like, all right, d- did this happen? Cause then you don't see it later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that action or that activity itself feels disconnected from the rest of the movie itself. Um, it feels surreal on like the way it's framed, the way it's shot. We haven't really talked too much about the cinematography, We've talked a little bit about it, but the the scene where he returns to the rug shop and purchases and lays on the rug it's a, it's a very surreal
1: feeling scene the um, camera is like really far away from him it's like he he yeah. is like way up in the, it almost seems like he's in a different place than wherever whoever is holding the camera is
0: yeah yeah agreed it's it's again it feels different than everything else which of course is intentional um and yeah just powerful stuff but back i guess to put a to put a a final point on the child Sophie yeah I love this performance you know I think I think it's it's one of the best performance I mean there's a lot of stacked performances this year on on this side of um the gender divide if you will but I mean she's a powerful one for me it's really good stuff really impressive stuff from this you know this particular child performance Scott as we sort of pivot towards wrapping things up there are a few more things that I wanted to talk about I'd say probably three I would identify. And then maybe a final question. A fourth is just like a final question I want to ask because I think it's just worth throwing out there. The first is going back to sort of the counterweights that are the karaoke scene and the dance scene. Um, They really, to me, if I were to point to an emotional climax, the big scene in the movie, and I think you mentioned as well, like these scenes feel like, those are the, those are the closest you're going to get. Curious what you you want if you want to elaborate a little bit more on them because you did mention specifically the karaoke scene being a, a big one for you.
1: If there's a scene in the movie that is like a little bit more explicit about what's going on, it's probably that scene. I say that it's also it's disguising it in the song lyrics, but if you actually listen to the lyrics of like the song that she's singing, "Losing My Religion" by REM, like it all kind of describes the situation that they're you know that they find themselves in. Even the, you know, repeated motif in the song of that was just a dream. That was just a dream. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that contrasted with what you're saying, like the under pressure scene is like their last night there. Right. And and they are like, this is one of the only times we see them both like experiencing joy. And again, callum yeah he's like actually letting himself go a little bit like enjoying himself and like you know we we haven't seen much of that in the movie he doesn't he doesn't feel like
0: he's holding anything back in those
1: right and again you have to wonder like is this something that actually happened or is this wanting to like her wanting to capture like the possible last memory of her father on this trip um as being, like, this joyful one instead of maybe, you know, what the actual truth was. Because, again, we see him react very differently to a similar type situation, right, where he's going to have to, like, let himself go in front of a bunch of people. The karaoke scene, he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Like, you know, go by yourself. Now he's, you know, in a similar situation, and he just, he kind of is dancing with a bandit. So, again, it's, it's just fascinating to think about all all these scenes, there's, you know, multiple interpretations, I feel like, to just about everything you see um, in the movie. But I guess that is that is what I grapple with the most about the under pressure scene, at least at this point, um, is is this just her wanting to capture a particular moment as, you know, the last moment, or, you know, did this happen? Is this something where you know, she, all of a sudden, she feels like maybe she's close to it again, and, but then, you know, the next day, it's different, and they're at the airport, and he's, you know, standing there, and she's, she's going, she's going away, and we don't really know if she ever saw him again after that.
0: Yeah, I want to get to the airport in a second, that's the next place I want to go, but just really quickly.
1: Yeah, I think that
0: I lean towards, because of the balance in the film, although I think your interpretation, very valid, I could totally, if, like, if, Someone ever, you know, if Charlotte Wells or and says like this is the interpretation of the scene, which she would never do. Um, I would believe it. I I do lean towards the take of though, like, you know, certain people are able to lose themselves in different types of actions. I think it, it would be believable if singing is something that he doesn't feel comfortable doing, but dancing would be. And and I think that to your point, something that you said earlier about this scene, is that I think it's almost a very nice balance of like, you know, not it, not everything was like was bad or reserved or however you yeah. like want to describe it. Like there were moments of, of real joy in the relationship. It's not, it's not the complete absence of something in this, in this relationship. It's, it's the mixed nature of it, making it so difficult to discern or really to unpack. Like, you know, something's wrong, but because there are different elements to the entire relationship, it's, it, you can't piece it so easily together. Um, if it's something that were to be embellished by her memory I would believe that a hundred percent. I think that is a very believable explanation to this, but some part of me feels like there was that sort of raw emotional, like raw positive emotion in there. Because again, yeah, like, like you were describing with the karaoke scene and you know, one, again, I think one of the big question marks for me coming out of the film was what happens sort of immediately after that karaoke scene, sort of the, the aftermath of it, where you have her, you know, he, he sort of storms off to the, to somewhere. We don't know where, um, we assume it is the room right and we see her go and and have this scene with these other children several scenes i guess with these other children later on in the evening while he again by himself so you have to question what's real what's not real but he is like appears to be marching off down like the it's main street of um of turkey into the like just into the ocean just going into the ocean like you know something from the lost daughter with Olivia Coleman or something like that last year um In Palominsco, fair point. Um, In a Mediterranean locale. Uh, But then she gets back and she eventually finds her way back into the room later and he's naked on the bed. Um, Sort of leaving you to question, was that what you saw? Like, was what you saw real? Was it imagined? Was there enough time for him to go down to the beach in this sort of like almost, I don't know inconsolable state and come back and pass out on the bed like it's just a big question mark i don't have answers to it i have no idea um but to me yeah i think these are two of the most like two of the biggest in quotation mark scenes of the movie for unpacking that i don't know if you have anything else you want to add we can move on again to the airport which is where i wanted to go next um actually i want to save the airport i take that back i do think that the one thing we have not touched on at all yet which i'm actually happy that we haven't because i think now we can just sort of Silo of the discussion here is that throughout the entire film, there's also these. I don't think there's any other way to describe them, but seems like dreamlike sequences. Yeah. Where Sophie, the younger version of Sophie, is watching her father dancing at almost like a rave, kind of, sort of some yeah. sort of like club yeah. or rave dancing. Like severe these- strobe lighting severe strobe I mean, He's like sort of like in a like drunk. I don't know if he's drunk or what it is, but he's like in a stupor of some sort. Um, and I'd say that these scenes are interwoven like every 20 minutes in the movie more happens each time. And just to make sure I am remembering this correctly, but at the end, like yeah. towards the end of the movie, she is attempting like Sophie in each scene is like trying to get closer and closer to him. And at the end, The adult version of her comes up to Callum, her father, and just shoves him and pushes him down to the ground. Mm -hmm. They're like, Um,
1: they're like grappling back and forth, I believe, if I remember it correctly.
0: Yeah, something like that sounds right. Yeah. And well,
1: and then I, I, what this may be where you're going, but yeah maybe this is just like what me seeing things but i am pretty sure at the very last shot of the movie in the airport where he walks off down the long hallway he opens the door and seemingly goes into this rave. 100 yeah yeah
0: Yeah, i i want to connect that to the airport in a second but i'm just curious i mean maybe maybe this is a very obvious thing but i'm just curious like what you make of these interwoven sequences
1: It's still something I slightly struggle with, but again, that ending to me makes it seem like he is entering this sort of purgatory-like place where, again, we are seeing her process of, like, what we are seeing in that scene is her, like, struggling to remember and to grasp who this person is, right? Like, the strobe lighting, we are only, like, every three seconds able to barely make out his face. And then we don't even, we can't see what's on it. We can't see what he's doing. So I feel like this is just her like visualization, her conceptualization of like what it is like to try and actually understand the, you know, the quote unquote secret of who her father was. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, like we don't know if she ever saw him again after this. But the point is, after this vacation was over, he entered this place right to where she was not able to really access him access home. him. Yeah. Um, and again, to get any closer to understanding who he was than she was on the trip. So I think that's where you know there there may be more to it than that. But again, I kind of saw it as you know number one her conceptualizing the actual difficulty in trying to understand who he is and to this like metaphysical place that he goes to after leaving this vacation seemingly forever like yeah. again we don't think it doesn't seem like at the end of the movie that Sophie is that that it seems like at the end of the movie Sophie has come to terms with the fact that she's never going to you know understand what she wants to understand about him
0: yeah, I I don't I, I that is what I make of it too. Um I do I do though if the the one element that doesn't fully connect, I guess, in that, and I think that's okay that it doesn't, it doesn't I don't think it necessarily has to, because it can just be something different, is the fact that when she gets closer to her father, physically closer in this in these sort of sequences, that is when the adult version of her almost obscures him and like you know, take, takes him away from her. And I don't know what more to make of that unless, and maybe it's very obvious and I'm just trying to make it all connect a little bit more seamlessly, but it could just be the, the frustration of the adult Sophie with not being able to get closer. And that's sort of almost barring the younger, like almost, almost like further exacerbating the situation of not being able to access her father again. I, I think I'm spitballing a little bit here. I don't quite know if I even necessarily believe that interpretation because I'm not sure what to make of it. But it really, it is these scenes I think that I point to that is is such a key part of the, of the narrative, sort of unfurling the the onion peeling itself back layer by layer in this film that you understand that there's something more and and deeper going under the, under the surface of this film. It's sort of the first indication I think that, that is that is happening when you see this sequence
1: for the first time yeah yeah I, I i think I agree with that,
0: yeah and then your connection to the airport you, you were talking about sort of having the under pressure moment being the last memory of of the vacation and I think that is true and especially in in terms of the vacation itself, but there is the scene in the airport, like you said, yeah. um this camcorder video right like some of this we know actually happened into some of the camcorder video of her- walking you know w- through. walking through the 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 line to board the plane or whatever um I think it's boarding the plane. Maybe, maybe it's just getting through like security or something like that. And you see her walk, walking. It, it is a very patient scene, walking back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then, yeah, when she's gone, he turns around, walks into this room. I I a hundred percent agree with the interpretation of like the purgatory. I, I think that it means, I think that it absolutely means she has never seen her father again. And, the last question that I sort of arrive at here, as we right before we wrap things up is, you know, maybe this isn't even important, but did he kill himself? Is he dead? Is he just gone? Does it make it, maybe it doesn't matter at all. Um, yeah. I don't think question, it does.
1: But, yeah. I don't think it does because again, I want to emphasize that I don't think there is an answer and yeah. there is a correct answer and that it can be open. The movie is certainly open to multiple, um, equally valid interpretations um i think you could certainly conclude that he do, he is dead right because again it seems like she hasn't spoken to him again and she is and all now of his memories of it her
0: would, uh, sorry all of her memories of him are of him at this time
1: in this age like in the dance sequences yeah. you don't see an older version of him it is the same version it's yes yeah, it's the same age yeah. and you know there has to be seemingly some reason why she has picked this moment as an adult to try and go back through this footage, maybe because something big has happened like him dying. And even, you know, the senior mentioning of him walking out into the ocean, right? Obviously it seems like it's something that probably did not happen, but, um, is this her thinking, Oh, well maybe he know, had tried this before, or whatever. He experimented with it right before actually going through with it at some point in the future. So, yeah, 100%. all you know, you again, you can make a valid case that he does die. Yeah, you can make a valid case that he is still alive and they're just estranged. I don't think it really matters because, again, I think everything that we're talking about about why the film works, what it's trying to do thematically and structurally, it is it remains the same no matter what conclusion you reach there. The point is, she she doesn't understand. She wasn't able to grasp what she wanted to grasp about her father, and it seems at the end of the film that she never will.
0: Whether yeah, lying and I, and I think just to just to put a period on that sentence, I think she is not able to grasp what she wants to grasp about her father. But what she does, at least this is how I interpreted the last shot of the film, which is just sort of her a reflection of her in this TV screen that she's been watching these camcorder videos is like a complete and total understanding or acceptance of who her father was. The, the mystery of the agony and the depression or the pain that he was experiencing. And like, as an adult fully understanding that even if the specifics of it are not understood. Yeah. And I think, I think mean, that is the, that is the devastating part of the film for me. All right. With that, then, maybe we talk about a favorite scene moment from after What do you got?
1: I think it's the moment I was talking about earlier with you know where she's talking about how tired she is, and he's like saying, "I think he just says, well, let's you know let's go have a nice dinner and like forget about it all, or something like that but he says it like very you know weakly, very hollowly it's again it's it's a father's attempt to try and like yeah, put on this face for his daughter. Um, and I think everything about it, like the the acting and or particularly again the way that it's framed with him like in the in the mirror and everything, I think it's all just like couldn't have been any more perfectly executed. So I'm going with that scene.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me there's it's kind of hard to really choose a singular moment. I, I think again, sort of one of the one of the standouts just to talk about a scene you referenced earlier in the conversation was the opening scene of the movie and I, and not choosing the opening scene, but actually the second time we arrive at that scene Mm -hmm. when you like really understand if you hadn't already, I think that this film is all about memories and perspective and what that means. Like really, really leading you to come to the conclusion that it's possible that everything you're seeing is not the whole picture is maybe not even the truth. And it's not anything that specifically happens in the scene, but it, it's one of those moments where another layer of the onion peels itself back, and I, I just love that element of the film so much. Um, so, in any time that you sort of get this drop of, you know, a layer of the wall of the movie sort of coming coming down, is a big highlight for me. All right, out of ten, Scott, what are you giving *After son?
1: Um, again, I am still processing this film. I d- didn't ever rate it yet on um, Letterbox sure. in terms of stars. um I think I the one thing I'm still struggling with is just the emotional impact of it because I was not like I did not come out of it like emotionally overwhelmed or drained or devastated or something like that. And of course, my initial thought is like, well, that's it's a slow burn. Yeah. It doesn't have that sort of big scene or anything which is supposed to you know hit you but then reactions have been that they are you know emotionally overwhelmed and everything but I'm not saying my reaction is not valid or you know does not I don't even think it was
0: that different than mine coming out of the film
1: either to be honest speak to the quality of the film because I didn't have this like incredible experience but I just have to process my feelings about it in that regard um with all that being said from a craft making standpoint, um, like we've been talking about the whole time, I find very little fault in what Charlotte Wells has done here. She has she's gonna have a lot to measure up to um, in the future with whatever she does next. But I think that um, in terms of like first features, right? This has gotta be one of the most impressive in the last 10 years, I mean, easily. So it's a 10 out of 10. No. You really, you really goosed to that one. Like a lot of preamble there. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah. thought I, had to. I feel I thought like the I only reason that one you're one, in the yeah.
0: preamble is just so you wouldn't give it a 10 and then you, you hook yeah. us at the end and give the 10 um, right on brother. Yeah. uh double 10 for this film. I think and honestly, Scott, I'm not, I'm not joking. When I say this. like, I, I think that the, the experience you're describing of not feeling just like emotionally whelmed, like, a, like it crescendos to the end and it hits you like a wrecking ball. Like that doesn't happen in this movie it is it is almost this like building almost this like building sense of like both acceptance and dread that what this film is really about is something that is nothing is 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 not something that's going to overwhelm you in that way to me it it is it has been a slow burn of emotional reaction to the movie
1: Uh, again it's not i wouldn't have even thought anything about it if there wasn't other people that i was seeing that were having like this big reaction to it yeah um I think maybe it's just because I don't personally relate to this experience of like sure. having seen this with my own parents or anything. Not that that it's you know it hasn't gone on. Maybe that's part of the point, right? That I just never you know have never seen it, but mm-hmm. maybe that's why it isn't quite so devastating to me as as it has been to other people. But um, again, it's an incredible film. Ten out of ten. We were just talking a, a few weeks ago about.
0: How we hadn't had a double 10 ages on the podcast. And I think now we've got it It's got to be the
1: first one since, I don't know, something in 2019, probably.
0: Did Sorry, did, didn't we not both give Tara 10? Did we not?
1: Did I? I don't know that I gave it a 10. Well, may, okay. may, I'm not know. sure. I don't know. But 1917, maybe, was the last one before that. No, oh, I mean, I Scott, read. I definitely gave that movie a 10. If you gave yeah. it a 10, I mean, I, I I'm sure I did too. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So early 2020, I think we only reviewed that movie. Okay. It's been a while. I don't know if we gave it. Someone check the record books. Did we give this to Tara? I don't know. A few episodes back. But this one, certified double ten from, from the Scots. Not much else to say, I think, at this point. We really we had a good discussion of After Sun. I mean, so much. I will say that. So much more to say. I mean, there's, there's all oh, the yeah. entire sequences in the movie that we didn't even talk about. Um, but I think they, again, sort of build up that central theme. That is all we talked about. In the film at the same time, but let's take a short break, take a, take a breather, take some deep breath, practice some Tai Chi. Uh, when we get back, we'll be talking about uh, maybe a crazy announcement that Taylor Swift will be directing a feature-length movie, um, as well as some of the cast for James Samuel's follow-up to The Heart of They Fall. We'll be right back. back from part two of today's episode of some like it scott as mentioned before the break we've got a couple pieces of news the first being something about taylor swift scott i know this is an artist you recently discovered but you have a pretty big fandom for her so why don't you go ahead and talk about what will be her first feature-length film
1: yeah i just you know heard something about midnights and yeah it turns out pretty good i I don't know if you've heard of her or not but um scott i'm actually wearing a taylor swift shirt right now as we're recording this podcast. is it taylor's Um, version
0: of the shirt though
1: So, of course, I'm about as far as you can get from being an unbiased source (laughs) on reporting about this film. Uh But um, it was reported this week that Taylor Swift is going to be making her feature film debut writing and directing a film for Searchlight Pictures. Obviously a big deal. That's Disney's sort of prestige you Know Wing uh, recently, we the menu was a searchlight film. I think that's the most recent film, um, that I can recall that they released, but um, plenty of significant films. I mean, sorry, you know, Cer- you look Cer- at,
0: I mean, Empire Empire of Light is a searchlight film, which just came out this past yeah,
1: week, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Shape of Water, you know, they've won Best Picture before with searchlight films, so very, you know, esteemed studio to be starting out your filmmaking career with, um, and I I have to say, of course, as always, she is brilliant in terms of her timing on things because uh, on the day before she announced this, there was a lot of rigmarole on Twitter about the fact that she was asked to do the Variety Directors on Directors series, and it's going to be her and Martin McDonough are doing one of them, and, you know, everyone was crying foul about her, you know, she's she's, had, she's a never movie, even directed a, a real movie before, right, and um, it, it strikes me that maybe, maybe, just maybe, this is how we end up with fil- uh, with female filmmakers like not getting the the recognition that they deserve, and having not gotten the recognition that they deserve for many years, uh, is because of conversations like what people were saying on Twitter. But anyway, I digress. Um, a day after everyone is, you know, lashing out at her on film Twitter. She announces, oh, hey, guess what? I am actually making it. Not only, you know, am I making this movie, but it's going to be for a big studio. I've already written the thing. Um, And, you know, I'm going to have a real movie coming out soon. Um, I think, you know, (laughs) I don't know. Probably not. Um, We don't know any further details about the movie. We don't know what it's about. We don't know anyone that's been cast in it. We don't know how far along in the process. They are filming this. Um yep. obviously, you know, she has directed several of her music videos. Most recently, she did all too well the short film, which is like a proper short film, right? It has Sadie Sink and Dylan O'Brien as the couple at the heart of All Too Well, as Taylor Swift and Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and it has this whole allegedly
0: like, Jake Gyllenhaal
1: dramatization of the yeah, lyrics yeah. of the song, in addition to being just a music video. So um, I recommend watching the the behind the scenes of that. It actually you know shows her directing and like giving the actors very specific like things that they wanted. Like you know she at least in this little seven minute video she presents as being you know I competent it. about what is going on as a director. Yeah. Um, but Scott, I of course I'm excited about it. Um, you know the thing that has always drawn me and I think has drawn so many others to Taylor Swift's music is her storytelling and her imagery, right? two things that are very cinematic and uh a lot of my favorite songs by her are her most like cinematic ones i mean obviously all too well again she literally made a short film out of it but um you know cruel summer getaway car enchanted these are some of my favorite taylor swift songs and they're like these Mm -hmm. big epic narratives in a way and she has such a gift again for for weaving those stories for you know giving them that personal touch um and also for just some of the images like you know that that's what makes her fan base so passionate and what keeps people coming back to their music is like, to her music is like you know just the little lines that stick out to you um from yeah. from the songs like the, the images that she is able to create in just one line of writing a song so you know as much as a pop star is you know capable of writing a feature-length film, like, I, I would think that she would be, like, the prime candidate in terms of people who are, you know, of her, you know, reputation and notoriety at this point, because I don't 80, think anyone... Is, yeah, anyone is writing... Again, any anyone of, like, this big pop star stature like she has is writing the same sort of confessional cinematic, quote-unquote, music that she is writing. So... I mean, sure, people are going to say that this is, you know, going to be trash and she is going to be carried across, you know, the finish line by her collaborators. But she is directing and writing this thing like she's not going to have a whole lot of place to hide if this movie is not good. So, um, yeah, it could very well be not good.
0: Then she can hide behind him.
1: Yeah, it could very well be not good. But. I have a lot of faith in her, and I'm not just saying that as a diehard fan of hers. I'm saying that as somebody who can, like, tr- you know, at least understand from a neutral perspective that, like, she is more well suited, based on the type of music that she's made for pretty much her whole career, to actually making a feature-length film than a lot of musicians, certainly a lot of big pop stars would be. So, well, she's starting film, Scott. There's reason to be excited about. It. I don't think so. I think this is maybe her recognizing that um, if she's going to get the egot right, um, acting is not going to be the way that she goes about it. You know, she tried it. She was in a few Couple movies. Times. She was yeah. in Valentine's Day and The Giver and um, Amsterdam, obviously. But
0: um, cats, we can't forget cats.
1: She's in cats, yeah. yeah. I don't think that um, acting is where she's going to. Get her Oscar let's put it that way I think she will be much more capable behind the camera and you know writing the script for this film um but I mean I guess that remains to be seen but of course of course I'm excited for it like she keeps her fans fed um it it is it is a beautiful thing like there's always something happening I mean like many people have pointed it out but like it is crazy that like she must never sleep. And of course she doesn't actually sleep because that is with midnights, right? Like the entire concept of the album is these are songs I wrote in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep. Um, so, but it just continues. What to is she play. doing when she's awake then Scott? It continues to bear out that this is true that she doesn't sleep because she's made in the last three years, three new albums, two re yeah. re-recorded albums, um, <laughs> a concert film and the folklore long pond sessions, um she's planning this world tour for the substantial part of next year she made all too well the short film and oh by the way she apparently also has a feature film that she's working on um we're blessed yeah
0: so scott sorry you you got a job in the last couple of years right did you you got a new job what what have you done what do you, you got you to gotta own up what have you been doing
1: i've gotten a, i've gotten a couple jobs you've done a few uh, podcasts I've been, I've been prolific yeah
0: yeah your podcast output is, is prolific. That is um, true. It you're is not true. exclusive to this to this forum, so you but I have sleep. a do of output. That's good. Sleeping's important. I've found that um, this past weekend, Scott, I um, was out for a birthday party and then a, a sort of holiday party both Friday and Saturday night. I did not drink Saturday night, but I drank Friday night, and I was out until like three a.m. at this at this birthday party, and then I, w- I stayed out until like two a.m. last night at this, at this holiday because we watched The Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> I have to point
1: out 3 a.m. is a very significant um, time in Taylor Swift songs. She mentions it in the lyrics to quite a few of her songs. So I'm just saying it's kind of funny that you bring that up uh, as we're talking about T-Swift.
0: Life imitates art, Scott. What can I say? Um, Yeah. So anyway, sleep is important. Look, I, I am skeptical that the film will be good, but I would not say that I'm being a hater about it. I would feel skeptical about any artist um writing and directing a feature-length film. But I do hear your points that you're making about why Taylor Swift might be better equipped than most other artists to make that transition. And I'm curious. Um, skeptical but curious. So that's, that's it where it just I
1: feels go. like we've we haven't seen anyone try this before, right? Like certainly not somebody as big as Taylor Swift. Like can you can you remember like, you know, I guess maybe like a a strange sort of comparison point would be like Tom Ford, right? Like in the fashion world, he is like you know one of the biggest names, yeah. and then he went on and directed you know a single man and Nocturnal Animals, Nocturnal and, you Animals know, a couple yeah. films. Um, yeah. But it's like somebody who is at the very peak, like as high as you can be in the particular world that they are in. Which for Taylor Swift's music, I mean, she is arguably the most famous musician if not person in the world and she is now saying i'm not going to rest on my laurels right i am not going to be content with like having She's a stay and, in her like, lane yeah i'm going to now try and make my name in another artistic medium like it just feels unprecedented so i think fan of taylor swift or not it, w- it, it is a little foolish to like come out and be like well this is never going to work because how do we know
0: yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of is is like books, like people going from writing books into making movies. But even that's yeah. not quite the same because that medium is a bit of a parallel to to filmmaking. Like you have to write a script. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's more layers to be in it making a film. But you know, like someone like Stephen King,
1: I don't even think. I mean, did he even direct a movie? Did he ever even direct a movie though? He did Maximum Overdrive, and it was apparently absolutely terrible. So yeah,
0: I think like Alex Garland, but he wasn't like. He wasn't as famous as yeah. Taylor Swift is in music. No. I mean, like in no. books. I mean, no, nowhere near as close. Near, near close. yeah. Maybe, maybe Shakespeare. He would direct a movie. I don't know. Um, he probably directed some of his own productions. I mean, I would assume so. I don't know. I don't know how playwriting works and directing. I know that that's not necessarily the same thing. But he probably did his own stuff, right? Like, he probably he probably directed Romeo and Juliet. Uh, anyway, speaking of, uh, I don't know. There's no segue here. I'm not even gonna pretend. My my second piece of news today is James Samuel Scott. You mentioned at the outset that you
1: Scott, you missed it. James Samuel was a music video director before you're he right. directed a feature you're film. Right. Was
0: right there. Jay, you're right. He did Jay <laughs> Z music videos. That's right. That's why the harder they fall, slap so hard, guys. He just was so good. You um, can't win them all. No, I can't. It's late. It's late, and I've had not much it this is. weekend. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I think we've talked about it on the podcast before that his follow up film, which is called The Book of Clarence. Uh, had like was in like was playing like it was in pre-production i think it recently started filming we knew i believe that lakeith stanfield would be returning for this production in, in a lead role along with omar Sy, who's the french actor probably best known for lupin on, on that well it is a netflix show i think as well as not the not the untouchables the intouchables um which is a french film which was then adapted into it the upside yeah. into the upside which is kevin hart and brian cranston um, he was the one of the leads in that in the original French production of that. He's in the film as well as Lakeith Stanfield. And we found out this past week that there is a laundry list of high profile actors being added to this film. That I believe, like I think I mentioned, I think it, it did go into production like last week or something like that. Uh, RJ Siler is going to be returning from The Harder They Fall. Um, he was in the he was in The Harder Fall. Right? I'm not making that up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but in bigger bigger names than even that, I'd say Benedict Cumberbatch has been added to the cast. James McAvoy, who I feel like has been quiet recently. I feel like James McAvoy's not doing that much stuff of late, Um, but he's in it. David Oyelowo, um, Alfre Woodard, uh, Marianne Jean-Baptiste, and Anna Diop have all joined the production. There's a lot of other people, too. They're probably less famous than any of the people I just mentioned, but a lot of people beefing up the announcements on the cast for this. Scott, I think – I mean, I'm curious because you just told me before the podcast started that you watched this film again recently – I was a huge fan of this last year. I don't know if it actually made my top 10, but it was very close. If it didn't, what, like, are you excited about the book of Clarence? Do these ca- casting announcements do anything for you? What's the deal? Because it makes I me just, excited. Sort of, I'll say that.
1: That's sort of a logistical question. Because I was looking this up on IMDb in the last week. And I don't sure. think this film is actually called the book of Clarence anymore. I'm pretty sure it is called Pins and Needles. At least that's how it's listed on IMDb. Um, okay. Maybe. But anyway, yeah, we've talked about this film, I think, before in the news section on the show. Um, I don't know that any of these names necessarily get me, like, more excited. I will say R.J. Seiler is definitely a highlight of The Harder They Fall. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> a highlight in a lot of things that he appears in. He's, like, a very he's a fun guy. funny and lively, like, yeah. presence on screen. Um, and so, you know, I think it's great that, that he's going to be in the film. Benedict Cumberbatch and um, James McAvoy are two actors which don't really move me uh, any particular way. Um, I don't love them. I don't hate them. They're just, you know, fine actors to me. But, I mean, this movie is very interesting in the sense that, you know, James Samuel is taking on what is a biblical, you know, sort of epic. I think Um, it is.
0: Yeah, he's sort of... Yeah. I mean like the heart of they fall. We don't like know more neo, about it than that. It was like a neo black western. I think this film is supposed to be like a neo black biblical film.
1: Right. So again, it seems like he is embarking on this sort of experiment, cinematic experiment to like reframe all of these sort of traditional narratives, right? That the are, western that are white the, traditional white. The bible. Characters. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Tra- reframe them um in the sense of making them, you know, African-American characters. Although, you know, again, The Heart of the Fall is just all African-American cast. You know, here we are getting some some white actors mixed in there, but I, it still seems like that is sort of the the goal. And, you know, if he can bring the same sort of style that he brought um, to The Heart of the Fall to this movie, then like, it is something that I think could revitalize a genre that like is just about dead nowadays. Like you do not biblical epics were in the 50s and 60s were like some of the biggest movies ever. And now you have like Noah or Exodus Gods and Kings, right? These movies which are just flops. Um
0: I mean the chosen is the biggest thing close to that's a TV show. Uh, yeah not a film. That's the closest thing to biblical
1: but epics these days. This is something that could really bring the genre back, I will say, with the caveat that i don't know if he's doing this film for netflix as well but obviously netflix didn't even release the heart of they fall in theaters um, which was infuriating um so if they don't release it in I, i mean i don't know i don't know what kind of numbers it did on netflix but i was gonna say if they don't release it in theaters it may not be able to reach the full audience but maybe not maybe it's the other way around maybe by putting it on streaming only it will it will be very successful. I guess I'm just thinking about from my perspective, I would much prefer to see a James Samuel film in theaters, but. Scott. Yeah. I mean, they only
0: showed it in New York and LA, I think at their own theater. So the Paris and the Egyptian, mm-hmm. I think are the only places they showed it, you know, maybe with some of the success of something like knives out, although obviously that is a different, different beast with Ryan Johnson and the known quantity. I'm franchise sure.
1: In the theater. again, they're doing the same thing with White Noise right now, it seems, and I'm sure that that is not going to be even I remotely like, successful compared to Glass Onion. Well,
0: yeah, but like uh, White Noise didn't go into AMC's and Regals and stuff like it went into it went into anything. That's right. true. It was, yeah. it was like the Irishman. It's more like yeah. the Irishman or Marriage Story or whatever back in 2019. Um, yeah. That's been their mo for forever. It feels like on their sort of like a bigger budget movies. I also am not sure if it's a Netflix film or not but scott i guess this just means that if you want to oh sorry this is not i know know, this is not a netflix movie this is a legendary film um excellent it'll be going it'll be going through sony because i think just this past week or two weeks ago legendary announced their break from their distribution deal with warner brothers so legendary think like dune got the godzilla movies other things like that um that's their big franchises obviously and then they do other stuff as well their distribution pact is now with sony so it's definitely going to theaters because yeah, cool. Sony doesn't own a streaming service, so they could always, I guess, sell it to Netflix. Um, but whatever, sure. yeah. Um, anyway, that, that'll do it, Scott, for episode 215 of Some Like It. Scott, where can people find you on social media
1: at Scarvy Dent? Also, I'm trying out TikTok, so you can follow oh me on God, there at Scarvy Dent as well. Oh my I just posted my review of White Noise today, so you can check it out. I'll try to post some podcast adjacent content on there is kind of what I'm mainly planning to use it for. So um, hopefully people on the podcast will go check that out. And people who are checking that out will come check out the podcast. Yeah. You got
0: to, you got to break, you got, you got to get really fancy and, and do your reviews and make it a loop where the end of the, the end of the review feeds back into how you start the beginning of the review. Um, That's the, that's how you break the internet. On TikTok. Okay.
1: I'm still figuring it out. Get but creative. Eventually, I will get more ambitious. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Find you over there on TikTok, I guess. Wow. What a scary endeavor. Don't let the Chinese yeah. um, get to you, but I guess it's too late. Uh, you can find me at Shelton2013 on Twitter, Letterboxd Serialized, not on TikTok. I refuse to give my data away like that. I've given it to every other company, but I guess Byte dance is the one company that's not going to get it from me. Thought to buy it from Facebook. But uh, don't forget to also check out our podcast, Patreon at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. If you can support us over there, we'd appreciate it. But if not, that's okay, too. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., wherever you listen to your podcast. Where we'd love it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, share, all that jazz so we continue to reach a broader audience. And, you know, go to TikTok, like Scott's TikTok, share it with your friends, I guess. I don't know. Uh, anyway, we really appreciate all of you for taking time to listen to us chat about After Sun. We'll be back next week with a review of quite possibly... One of the biggest movies of all time ever made, period. End of story. James Cameron's Avatar 2, The Way of Water. We hope you'll join our family in our fortress for that next week. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton.
1: We'll see you next time. AWA will provide.